0: I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning with me to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2, we're going to begin reading at verse number 14. And uh, read all the way through chapter 3 verse 5. This sermon is, is titled, A Door of Hope. Does anybody feel like you need a door of hope this morning? This sermon is for you. Hosea 2 verse number 14. This is the living Word of God. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more." And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a Homer and a lithic of barley. And I said to her, "You must dwell You must dwell as mine for many days." You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in the fear to the Lord. And to his goodness in the latter days. Our Father, we ask that your Spirit would bless the reading of his inspired word. Lord, say what you need to say to our hearts. Because I have nothing. I have nothing in me to say this morning. And so I'm going to trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this begins our third week in the book of Hosea. And after, after a couple of weeks in, in these opening chapters, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, you, you kind of know where I'm, what I'm talking about. We've seen a prophet who God calls to marry a prostitute. Her name is Gomer, and she serves as a very graphic picture of the spiritual unfaithfulness of God's own people. And you may be wondering... After two weeks in a Hosea, could it get any more bleak? Well, today is a good day. Because we're going to get a sweet reprieve this morning before it gets bleak again. (laughs) So, church, I want you to soak this in. Because this is a message of grace and hope for a a wayward people. This message may be a little different. In fact, I know it is, and I'm totally unprepared for this this morning. I want to tell you that right off the bat, just to be honest with you. We're covering a lot of verses, and I only have two main points. Now, some of you all are thinking, praise God. Um, I guess I'm trying to say that there's a lot more here in these verses that I'm going to give you this morning, okay? But this isn't Sunday school And this certainly isn't seminary. So I want to trust you all to dig deeper into these verses in your own reading and study this week. But what we've seen so far is that the promiscuous wife of the prophet Hosea typifies the literal and spiritual unfaithfulness of God's people, both Israel and us, okay, as we chase the many worldly idols in our lives. But what we see in the, the, these 15 verses that we read today is that God, in his undying love, despite how we have forsaken him for other lovers, whatever they may be, God will redeem his people. He will redeem us from our spiritual unfaithfulness, and He will graciously bring us back to Himself. That's hope. That is hope this morning. And that's the big takeaway that I want you to leave here with. That God, in His undying love for His people, will bring His wayward bride back to Himself. And so I want to unpack that, that big theme using just two main points from this passage. And the first is that God will take the sovereign, redemptive initiative in bringing His wayward bride back home. God will take the initiative to bring His bride back home. In verse 14, we see right away that God is speaking in the first person. Remember I said when we first started this, God and Hosea, all throughout this book, are one voice, two individuals. One voice, two individuals. And God's in in verse 14, He begins speaking in the first person. And there are two little words that show up over and over and over all throughout the rest of chapter 2. Do, do you see them? Does anybody see those two little words that keep showing up? Those words are I will. Verse 14. I will allure her. Verse 15. I will give her her vineyards verse 17 I will remove the names of the bales from her mouth verse 18 I will make for them a covenant I will abolish the bow I will make you lie down in safety verse 19 I will betroth you to me forever I will betroth you to me in righteousness verse 20 I will betroth you to me in faithfulness verse 21 I will answer I will answer the heavens verse 23 I will sow her for Myself. I will have mercy. Thirteen times in ten verses, God says, I will. Do you think He's trying to tell us something here? The Lord is the broken-hearted husband whose cherished bride has prostituted herself out to other lovers. She has been in bed with other men, so to speak. And God has seen all of it. And church, one thing that we need to remember throughout this book is that Israel was not only spiritually promiscuous, okay? She was spiritually promiscuous in the worship of the false idols of the surrounding pagan nations. But the people themselves, flesh and blood people, were literally promiscuous by participating in the ritual sex acts of Baal worship. The Lord's bride has left him. And everything that Israel has done to the Lord spiritually, Gomer has done to Hosea literally. But what does God the wounded husband do? What does He do? In chapter 2 we saw last week that He promises to jealously judge Israel's sin. But we know that He cannot cast off His people forever. Why? Because of the redemptive covenant that He has made with them. So now in these verses, He promises to go after His wayward bride and bring her home. So this chapter, the the latter part of chapter 2 into chapter 3, beautiful picture of the Lord's unfailing desire for His people. Look at verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly, to her. That word allure is the same Hebrew word used in Judges 16 when the Philistines offered to pay Delilah to seduce Samson to see what the secret of his strength was. It was it's a word that means to entice. And the Lord is saying here, I'm going to entice my bride back to myself. I'm going to win her back. Now most of us married men here this morning might know a little bit about this. We might know something, at least I I do. I remember when Jamie first caught my eye 27 years ago. Would you, would you believe that she didn't instantly fall over head over heels for me? <laughs> I mean, I never could figure that out. <laughs> But it took some time and work for me to win her heart. I'm talking blood, sweat, and tears. (laughs) I mean, I think we probably broke up half a dozen times before I finally got her locked in with vows. But I had to win her. That's what the Lord is doing here. He says, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In other words, God is going to take Israel to a place where it's just her and Him. And He's going to tenderly win back her heart. Now, of course, the irony here is that God had to win her back, not because He had pushed her away, but because she had broken covenant with Him in sin. You see, that's the irony. Verse 15 calls that wilderness place where the Lord's going to win His bride's heart again. calls it the valley of Achor. The valley of Achor. It means the valley of trouble. Because it was there... In Joshua chapter 7 where the sin of Achan brought military defeat to the Israelites at Ai because Achan had taken forbidden spoils from Jericho and he hid them in his tent. Do you all remember that? Joshua 7? Now the Lord didn't take Israel to the literal valley of Achor outside of Jericho. This is a theological metaphor To show that God is going to bring Israel to a place of judgment where they have no choice but to face their wounded husband and fall back in love with him. That's the point. Look at verse 15. And there I will give her her vineyards. These are the ones that he took from her in the first part of chapter 2. Everything he took from her, he said, I'm going to give back. I will make the valley of Acor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Tim Chester, a a pastor in England, uh, has some helpful comments here. He says this, Imagine a husband whose marriage is in trouble. The relationship between him and his wife is strained to the breaking. In one final attempt to get things back on track, he takes his wife back to the place where they first fell in love. Perhaps here she will remember why she first loved him. And the old feelings can be rekindled. That's essentially what's happening here in these verses. God is rekindling his bride's love for him. But he has to get her to the valley of trouble before she'll realize that she is for him and him alone. Look at verses 16 through 20. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer you will call me my Baal. That, that phrase, my Baal, it means my master. In other words, God is going to be an affectionate husband to Israel, not a dominating ruler like her false gods. You see. Verse 17. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day. Verse, verse nineteen, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. In other words, all that God wants His people to be, He's going to—they're going to—they're going to receive by virtue of their marriage to Him. Verse twenty, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. The one common thread in all these verses is that God is the one who takes the loving, redemptive initiative. He doesn't wait for Israel to come to her senses. He goes after her and captures her heart again. That's what He does. You know, this passage, this passage is is all about the Lord's relationship to His consistently wayward, unfaithful people. Now, whether that's Israel in the Old Testament or us in the church, but I want to take a little detour, if I could, this morning. You know, I'm a fan of asking forgiveness instead of permission, but I want want your permission this morning to take a little detour. That might help somebody here today. Through the prophet, and I'm going to talk to you men, mainly, just for, for a minute. Through the prophet Hosea, God is putting on a clinic in how to save a struggling marriage. Those of us who have been married for any length of time know that all marriages go through the valley of trouble. Sometimes quite often. And you know, one of the things that disturbs me most about Christians today is that we all want to project this image of happiness at home. But I've done enough pastoral ministry to know that in reality, very few couples in the church today are as genuinely happy and fulfilled in their marriage as they could and should be. I've seen it all. I've seen couples trying to survive physical or emotional abuse. I've seen couples so emotionally and relationally disconnected, they're little more than roommates. Marriage is in jeopardy because family life is centered around the children. And I will never stand up here and pretend that my wife and I haven't struggled because we certainly have and we still often do. I mean, you all... Listen, and I'm not trying to be funny here. You all know I'm sometimes hard to handle even as your pastor. But you don't have to live with me. In my sinful flesh, I can be quick-tempered, selfish, and harsh. I need a lot of sanctification. I'm just being honest. So when I say that that girl back there is made of gold and grace, you better believe it. But what God teaches us here in this passage is that when things go south in a marriage it is the husband's responsibility to take the initiative to get things back on track. Do you see it here in the text? Do you hear me men? It is your responsibility to go after your bride and find a door of hope in the valley of trouble, and to carry her through it no matter what it takes. That's what God is modeling for you right here. It's what He's modeling for me. God takes the initiative in winning His people and their hearts back. And friends, this is all of sovereign grace. God chose Israel. He called Israel. He redeemed Israel. And now He goes after Israel in her unfaithfulness. And it has absolutely nothing to do with anything good or special about Israel. Do we understand that this morning? Let me give you a text. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. The Lord says this, He's talking to Israel. <laughs> I mean, this is long before the, 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 the kingdom split and Israel and Judah and all. This is long before. He says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Verse 7. Deuteronomy 7 verse 7. It was not... Because you were more in number than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. God says, It's not because you were anything special. You're, any, you're not big. He said, For, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Did you get that? God's election of Israel as His bride, His election of the church as as the bride of Christ has nothing to do with our goodness or anything special about us. It is because the Lord loves you. The Lord loves us and is keeping the oath that He swore to our fathers. Who's He talking about? He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he says that the Lord the, the, the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, it is because of the Lord's great love that He comes after His wayward bride. And that brings us to our second... And final point from this passage this morning. And that point is that God's redemptive work is based on His undying love for His wayward bride. The basis, the grounding, the foundation, the root of God's redemptive work is based on His undying love for his wayward bride. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. And the Lord said to me... This is Hosea speaking now, right? At least that part was. But now God is speaking again. And the Lord said to me, Go again. What? What? Why do you think the Lord had to tell Hosea to go again? Because Hosea had already been after this, this, this woman. He, I have no doubt that, that, that he chased her down in her bed of harlotry. And he was weary. But no, God said, you can't give up, Hosea. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Here it is, though. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. I mean, come on raisins how we have a we have a, a garden a fountain of abundance in the Lord our God and we want to go eat a cake of raisins But God said no. Go again, Hosea. Go love that woman who is loved by another man. Now that word love there, So you see three, actually four instances of the word love here in verse 1, right? Go again, love a woman, Hosea, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So four times the word love is here, and it almost means a different thing in every, every time. Love this woman who is loved by, that, 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 loved by another man. That does not mean that that man loves her. In the the original language, it means they, they know each other sexually. In other words, Hosea, go love that woman who's been in the bed with somebody else. Now men, I want you to think about that. Women, I want you to flip the script and think about it. God says do this because this is how I love you. This is how I love the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods. Though they crawl into bed with other lovers. And they are got to trade all that I can give them for a little cake of raisins. Chapter 3, these five verses in chapter 3, is really what we just looked at in chapter 2, illustrated in real life. Friends, I have, I've wanted to emphasize this from the word go in this sermon series, this stuff about Hosea Gomer and the three children, that is real. This is not a metaphor, some sort of allegory. It's a picture, it's an illustration that God has called this man to endure this so that he would be able to, to show the people of God how what they are to the Lord. And so what we read in chapter 2 now is illustrated in the life and the family of Hosea. And what God promises to do for Israel at the end of chapter 2 is what He tells Hosea to do for Gomer in chapter 3. He says, go get your wife back. Yeah, she may be in bed with another man. Go after her. No, she may not want to come home, but go lure her back. Friends, I want you to think about the depth of love this would take. Think about the depth of love that this would. I mean, if most of us, I would probably say, I mean, I don't know about y'all. I don't, I mean, I've never been in this position, so I don't know how I would react. But for most of us who are married, if we would discover our spouse had just a, a one-night affair, we'd be done. We'd be out the door. But ongoing, promiscuous adultery? Multiple lovers? Forget it. I mean, who's coming back from that? Who's going to go chase down that, 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 that bride, that spouse, living like that? I said last week that adultery is the ultimate betrayal. The only way a marriage can survive that is through covenant love. But that is exactly what Hosea is showing here. That is exactly what God, what Yahweh is showing here. Covenant love. Verse 2. So I bought her. is Hosea speaking, right? So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Uh, You know, if you do the the conversions and all, it adds up to about 30 pieces of silver all in all, the price of a slave. So Hosea is likely talking about buying Gomer, his treasured bride, out of the slave market. That's where she ended up. Verse 3. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. In other words, Hosea says, Look, Gomer, you are my wife. You don't belong to these other men. You're not going to go play that game. So will I also be to you. Verse 4, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice, or pillar without ephod, or household gods. There's a, this is talking about a cleansing period here. Verse 5, And afterward the children of Israel shall return. They're coming back home. And seek the Lord their God. And David their king. Now there's some significance here because you remember the northern kingdom of Israel has been at at odds with the house of David for 200 plus years. At this point, God says they're going to come home, and they're going to they're going to they're going to seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. Now there are all kinds of prophetic implications here that I, I, I don't wanna, I'm not going to get into it. I, I, I actually believe they point to the millennium period. Okay, When Israel will live under the loving rule of its Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point that I want to make here is that God will rescue, redeem, and restore His people. His bride, He will will go after His bride and bring her home. And it is all because of His undying love for her. And that's it. So then what the Lord does for Israel here in Hosea 3, it points us where? that's it it points us directly to the incarnation the life the death and resurrection of Christ for those whom he came to save friends this is a picture of the gospel right here in sinful autonomy we wanted our way we rebelled against our creator But He did not leave us in our sin. He came after us, He said. That's what Christmas is all about. It's God coming after His people in the person of His eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Easter is all about Him buying us back from the marketplace of sin. Cleaning us up and reconciling us to Himself. What Hosea does for Gomer in chapter 3 illustrates what Christ has done for us. And if we miss that, then we might as well shut the Bible and go to lunch. Listen to Romans chapter 5. And I want you to, I want you to think about Hosea and Gomer and what God is calling me to do. Who The character of Gomer, who she is. She's a prostitute. She's done all this stuff. I want to read Romans five six through eleven, and I want you—I want you to have their faces. Just visualize it. You—you you know, God gave us imaginations. Use them. Think Hosea going after Gomer. This is what Romans five says. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, "For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person." Was Gomer a righteous person? Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, was Gomer a good person? But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the bed of adultery, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? I want to, this is this is extra, but I talked about that Valley of Acor. And you go back and read uh, Joshua seven. There was a man who died in the Valley of Acor. His name was Achan because he stole. Well, he didn't steal. He. He took the forbidden spoils that God said, do not take anything from them. It's all devoted to destruction. You do not take it. After they they had sacked Jericho, okay? Well, he took it and he hid it in his tent. He hid it under the ground and everything. Silver and all that stuff. Well, he died. He was stoned to death and then burned. When Joshua found out what was going on. That's why it's called the Valley of Trouble. But friend, there is another valley. Not so much a valley, but a hill. Where another man died. But it wasn't for his sin. It was for our sin. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, Paul says, by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Friends, Calvary is our valley of trouble. It was His valley of trouble. It's our door of hope. Ephesians 2, 4, 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy... You remember Hosea? God says to Hosea, I'm going I'm I'm to have mercy on no mercy God being rich in mercy because of the great love, the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Friend, I want you to know this morning that God loves you. Billy Graham preached it for decades. I can still hear his voice. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. To use the analogy of Hosea and Gomer, it doesn't matter how you have prostituted yourself away from the Lord. He loves you. You. The 17th century Puritan pastor, John Owen, he says this, the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. You want to injure the heart of God? Then don't don't believe His love for you. The love of God far surpasses any love that we can know or understand. The only thing that even comes close is the covenantal love of the marriage relationship. That's why marriage is such a powerful metaphor for the gospel. It's the kind of love that causes Hosea to go to the slave market and rescue his prostitute wife. It's the kind of love that says, I love you no matter what. That is how God loves us in Christ. So this morning, I want to call each one of us to believe that. I don't care if you're an unbeliever, if you're a skeptic, if this is your first time in church, if you've been in in these pews for 50 years, I don't care. I want to call each one of us to believe that. And to take all of our sins, and all of our doubts, and all of our struggles, And lay them before the One who loves us no matter what. And trust in His Son's finished work on the cross for us. That is our door of hope. That's it. Let's pray.